advisor, and today we are on the line with Sten Via, and also have as a non-video participant, we have Joseph uh, Shively, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, and uh, right now these guys are working with Equistart, and I met uh, met the CEO of Equa over at, uh, it was Coin Agenda, Vegas Blockchain Week, and uh, I think uh, specifically uh, they caught my attention because they won the bid, I believe it was the Bid Angels. Uh, pitch contest. And I don't really know too much about what's going on, but just wanted to first if, if Sten could give you know a little introduction about his background, uh, some of the street cred, and, and, and Joseph as well, and then we can kind of get into Equa and some of the cool things they're doing in the uh, crypto space. Yeah, so um, I've been, you know, it's it's always funny, you know, I, I have, you know, several times a week I still have this, this realization that I am where I am because it's it's so bizarre because I you know my background is I'm, I'm actually a cancer biologist so I spent what 15 year I mean I was I don't know how many years I was ultimately in school but 15 years or so in a path to get a doctorate do research and then I realized that you know that I don't that wasn't the path to success for me I didn't know what it was I just I knew it wasn't that so I was looking for something else and Sean, the you know founder, co-founder, co CEO of Salt, uh, now co or founder and uh, CEO of Equa. You know, I've known him for 20 years, and you know, we've we've been you know great friends for for that whole period of time. And he got me into Bitcoin and the whole kind of anarcho-capitalist uh, libertarian movement. You know. Uh, you know, free money, all this, all these types of things, and the Fed, all all those one, you know, those catchphrases for the libertarian world, got me into that with Ron Paul, and I want to say probably, well, two thousand six, two thousand seven, and then that spurred into Bitcoin, and I, I didn't quite get it. You know, I, I was I was in graduate school. I didn't have time to study this this weird thing that I just didn't even know what it was. It's just digital money. I'm like, okay, it sounds cool, but. I don't have any money. I'm a poor graduate student, number one. Number two, I just don't have the time to do the research. But he started uh, hosting uh, Bitcoin meetups at this restaurant in downtown Denver, uh, actually enabled them to uh, uh, became the first and I believe the only restaurant in Denver at the time that would actually accept uh, Bitcoin as payment. So you can go in, have these meetups and you know people would talk every week and you, know, you can sit down and order beers and food and ultimately pay in Bitcoin. So it was a lot of fun. Got to you know finally start to get into it, and so I was. And, and what, what what year was this when you could actually pay in Bitcoin? Uh, this was, I want to say 2012, 2013. I can't remember. I'm going to get the years mixed up, but it might have been even like 2014 to be honest. Way but, before uh, that was a thing, basically anywhere else you guys were doing it. Yeah, and so we have this really. Um, nice community that just kind of took hold in Denver around Bitcoin and, and crypto when it was just only when blockchain was only Bitcoin. Like this was before Ethereum. And I remember going to meetings where I didn't even know what Ethereum was. I just heard that it's like, it's, it's the next thing. That's okay. And I, I, I bought in a little bit of it and, but I still don't really know. I'm like, okay, cool. I, I'm just now starting to get my head around Bitcoin. And then Ethereum started taking hold and people building on that. And, you know, I'm still just like knee deep, you know, in focusing head down, trying to get my degree and do what I need to do, like on my path. And I just, I, I kept sticking around, sticking around and learning a little bit more. I'm definitely not an expert. I'm definitely not a technologist. I don't, I'm not a coder, I'm not a developer. 
I, I, I appreciate the very high levels of what Bitcoin and blockchain and crypto offers and, and the vision of it. I don't, I can't really dig down on the minutia and have those like, you know, those really in-depth conversations. And I don't really care because I just appreciate it and I'm, I'm bought in. Like I don't ever see a world without Bitcoin or blockchain. So I'm going to participate in that economy and I'm always going to support it and do what I can and, you know, to help drive adoption and, you know, throw in my efforts wherever, on, on projects wherever it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, it was just kind of this crazy emergent idea that, so it was it was really like a coalition of lots of things at the same time some personal pain some libertarian ideas and now this crypto and it kind of just percolated and then when my graduate career and my scientific career were kind of petering out my the lab i was in was running out of money was running out of money so my boss wasn't going to be able to afford to pay me anymore so i was kind of looking to see what else to do went on unemployment for a few months and then Sean over the course of a few months and three conversations you know, got me to finally come work for Assault. Like at first he's like, come work for me. I said, no, I'm just trying to do this other thing. He said, oh, come, come, come work for me. I said, well, no, you know, maybe we'll see, you know, I'm on unemployment and, you know, I'm still kind of figuring things out. And then finally I like, you know, unemployment is finite. So just come work for me. I said, fine, I need money. I, you know, I have a family, I have a wife, so I got to figure out something. And, and so that really has, was the, the genesis of how I'm even on calls like this because you know, I was, I was studying cancer biology. I was trying to, you know, help people's medical, uh, their, 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 their health, you know, overcome diseases. And now I'm, you know, working on a company who's solving a, compi- a completely different type of pain, which you're is... Fight, you're fighting the biggest cancer of all, central banking. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you fix the money, ter- if you fix the monetary supply and the banking system, then there's more wealth and more success. And then these other things, there's more energy and resources to, to solve those. So, I mean, it all starts with the money supply and then it trickles down to pretty much every industry that anybody can ever find themselves in. So, you know, now working on, on a platform that's building corporate governance and, and, you know, putting law into a blockchain and, um, you know, and just making sure that the wealth that businesses create stays in the hands of the business owners and not, you know, eaten away by accountants and attorneys because business owners do something stupid. They, they don't follow their own rules or they just don't even know what rules to follow because they're, they're a business owner because they want to go into business because they had an idea. There's some, they're passionate about something. So they want to monetize it, corporatize it, but then they don't know all that. They don't know what they don't know. And so they can oftentimes get themselves into trouble and, you know, then income attorneys and then potentially now their business goes away. So if we can, solve that problem, then, you know, we think, you know, we're, we're adding a tremendous amount of value to the world. And, and that's, that's a wonderful thing to be a part of. It is amazing how much, you know, a new business really does have to make just to be able to like, it's one thing to have, you know, good revenues, but to actually have profit because so much of it goes to, you know, the bean counters and, you know, hiring accountants and lawyers and keeping compliance. And so, so you got to make, you know, into the six figures just to be able to make anything just because every, there's so many hands in the pie. So do you guys, you guys have a platform that helps alleviate some of those concerns or, uh, you know, is there ways where you can do crowdfunding or IPOs or ICE, you know, on, on your guys' platform or really tell us more about it? Cause all I, all I saw was that you won Michael Turpin's, uh, bit angels, uh, pitch contest. And that was sort of like the extent of, of what I knew. Yeah. And, and I'll, 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 I'll say a little bit and then I'll let Joseph get into it as well. But 
you know, the kind of the nuclear. Oh, just so Joseph knows. So I have you muted right now, and I think you can unmute yourself. Just I, there was some background noise on the iPhone. So uh, if there's any problems not being able to get back in, like I think you can, there's like a raise a hand button or something. But I do have Joseph muted. But if you want to go ahead, I can unmute you if you want to mute yourself. So I don't know if it will let Joseph unmute right now, uh, but I'll, I'll do it. But if you can then mute yourself again, because there was some uh, background feedback. Sure, no problem. Okay, cool. But um, I just didn't know if you want me to give. I didn't know if you want me to give my background or answer the question. Go ahead and give your background, Joseph. Here's here here about you. Uh, I'm a little bit more traditional. I started my first business in 1996. It was called Next Trade. It was one of the first online stock trading systems. Sold that to Citigroup. Was the president of LavaFlow, which is a division of Citigroup, from 2006 to 2008. From 2008 to 2010, built a bank called Andron Bank, sold that to First United. From 2010 to 2014, built a bank in the country of Panama called Atlas Bank. From 2014 to current, I've been doing consulting for Salt Lending. I was the interim CTO at Wealthforge. I was the uh, CCO, head of compliance, and chief operating office for Temple Markets. And now I am here at Equa with Sten and Sean. Well, that is uh, that is quite the quite, quite the bio stuff the stuff going on. So I I didn't know Joseph was coming on the call till right right before. Uh, so this is our first time being introduced. But thank you for coming on and giving us all your uh, knowledge and insight of everything you got going on. Um, so I guess now we'll be getting back to Equa and, and whoever wants to jump in and about uh, you know I, I saw that that you guys won the the Bid Angels Pitch Contest, which obviously you know there's a lot of uh, competition there, and so there must have been something you guys were doing that was you know new and exciting for the industry, and just wanted to uh, you know get you guys on today to see what that new and exciting uh, things that you guys are doing in, in the uh, blockchain space. Yeah, so I mean, we we like to often start the conversation just around the cap table because I think I mean obviously there are companies that are addressing or and providing solutions for cap table. Uh, and, and and they do a really good job. I'm not going to disparage anybody because now know, if somebody didn't know what a cap table is. Can you kind of take it back? Like uh, yeah, so a, a cap table, which is just short for capitalization table, is just the you know it's a glorified spreadsheet of who are the owners of an organization and how much does each owner actually uh, you know have in a particular or particular organization. So. You know, if you're a, you know, if you own an LLC, you create an LLC, you're the sole proprietor in your operating agreement, you probably have somewhere that says you have, you know, 100,000 units or 100,000 shares, whatever. If you're a sole proprietor, you own 100% of the company. And, you know, so that is the very simplest version of a cap table. One person, 100% of the pie. Now that can then, you know, just get infinitely more complex. You know, if you look at companies like Google and Apple, you know, these big, you know, international companies where they have millions of shares, millions of shareholders. Not of alpha, you know, alpha, alphabet, which I guess Google changed and get, make it even more complicated. Right, right. And so then you have subsidiaries. I mean, you have so many shareholders. So if you, if you were right now to go onto Ameritrade and buy a share of Google, you know, somewhere in the, you know, in the back end, you are recognized as a shareholder of Google. And, you know, I doubt... Google's updating their cap table to that level, but there is, you are part of that, that agreement of an owner of that company because you've given them some, you, you own something. And if the company, if that stock ever splits or if there's a dividend, 
and you you have rights associated. You get something now, and that's all held like centrally right now. What is it, like the DTCC or the Depository Trust? You got basically one entity that sort of controls like all like when the actual stock is held. I mean that probably maybe that's getting into some yeah. other rabbit holes, but right. So you know if you take those two ends of the spectrum, so the sole proprietor and multinational corporations with that are publicly traded. You know, you have warrants, options, you know, pools, all this type of stuff, all these different types of securities. Uh, they've, got, they've gone through multiple rounds of, of capital raises, you know, and then everything in between. And so you just need a clear record that is immutable and transparent to capture all those, those endpoints. And so most, most organizations are still managing, you know, and I've seen some pretty terrible examples already since we've gone down this path with Echo and, and interface with, with early clients of, what their cap table actually looks like. You know, the worst example I saw was literally a Word document that had, you know, a list of four or five names with a percentage next to it. I'm like, okay, that's that sucks. I mean, how do you how do you maintain the, you know, the the ability to lock that down so you don't have you know a reconciliation so people aren't editing a Word document and so now if you share that Word document somebody else gets it and they go in and tinker with it. Then how how do you then it go, the potentially you go to an ownership dispute because so to say no I own twenty percent and they say no you own thirty percent and how do you how do you get that so the the platform a platform to to provide transparency and audibility and, and mutability into the ownership structure is insanely valuable even from the perspective that you know I have invested money into companies you know I'm I've been on convertible notes and I've I've invested and I don't know what happens I don't have a share certificate. There is no transparency whatsoever. So, you know, if that company goes away or if something goes on at the cap table, I have, I have no insight. And so it's, it's a little frustrating and, you know, you just, knowledge is power, right? And so if you have the ability to provide a platform where literally every user, I'm sorry, literally every owner could be a user and log in, see your share certificate, have the ability to sell or buy more units and, and then have that recorded on a document somewhere, which you know, you t then you layer in, you know, uh, rights and signatures to validate and authorize transfer or, or issuance of new shares where everybody can see the same truth. Then things that happen with WeWork and all these other companies that get themselves in hot water because they are just not managed properly. They're not managed in their ownership structure. That now starts to fix itself because you have, again, that, that transparency and immutability, which blockchains are really excellent at solving. So you move a world away from having millions of people with millions of copies of a document to millions of people with one copy that everybody's all looking at the same time says this is the truth and if it's edited or changed or modified everybody can see it and there's so there's no like actions in the dark you know you you kind of remove the ability for people to kind of be malicious and you know monkey around with the ownership structure you can't just wake up one day and be like oh they decided to issue another 100 billion shares and i just got diluted yeah. to nothing because uh, yeah. that's how that correct Go ahead, Justin. There are actual there are actual regulations that govern govern what can and can't be done, and furthermore, there are inputs in your operating document or bylaws which tells you how to do that. You've got to observe not only your in-house corporate governance but the the surrounding SEC regulations as well. Yeah. So I mean, there are some good stuff. As much as you know, anarcho capitalist, I guess you know there are a few good stuff that came out of the 1933 Investment Act, but. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think all of us would rather see less laws and more, but you know, there is has to be some basic protections around property rights, which are you know pretty libertarian yeah. and rock uh, foundation. 
Well, hopefully blockchain, I mean, you know, as blockchain penetrates the financial markets and all, all these industries more and more over the next decade, you know, it very quickly could evolve rapidly to the point where the securities laws in 1933 and 1934 are basically, they're just, I don't want to say invalidated, they're just now archaic. I mean, the, 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 there is importance of, of, of saving you know, the little guy and, you know, protecting their rights. But with blockchains and smart contracts, you know, that's going to do a far greater job without actually cr creating new laws or, or updating laws. You basically have codified laws with, with smart contracts. That's going to do, it's going to be so much more efficient and do offer great, you know, greater level of protection to the average consumer, the average investor than, than any, any piece of, of law. So um, you know, that's, that's the world. Especially where once we're you marry in like reputational scores, or like, Hey, you know, this guy, you know, sort of like an eBay where, you know, Hey, this person's had, you know, 10,000 transactions and they've been trusted and people like working with them. And this person's, you know, has five and half of them are negative. And, and so there's certain reputational trust factors that people are going to want to, you know, work with some people over others. And that's going to be a better, I guess, free market way of doing things and, you know, coming up with a law. I mean, unless, right. you know, take something like BitConnect or something too, you know, I mean, how many people are warning about that? And if you have enough people warning with certain, you know, credential factors of, hey, these guys have been right more often than not, then, you know, do, do you really need a law, you know, to, to govern something? Now, I guess one question I have with Equa is, are you, are people able to do like uh, tokenizing of an asset through, through uh, Equa, or is it just hey, once we already have the asset, to, that we can then keep track of it? So I don't know if like something like like Ravencoin or T Zero, like how that kind of fits into what you guys are doing. If it's complementary, or if it's something that's a that's a uh, uh, competition. But I, I'm just some of the things that are kind of floating through my head to see like where you guys are at versus some of the other projects that I, I think are somewhat similar. Well, we're actually using Raven now in the sense that. Each organization that onboards into Equa, we can, so asset, or sorry, uh, Raven has the whole asset layer of the, Ra the Raven blockchain, and they have an asset explorer. So it makes it really easy that if each organization comes into Equa, we can actually create a asset on the Raven chain that is designated by, you know, Following the same types of nomenclature that you know, public. I had no idea. I had no idea that you guys had any tie ins with Raven or had yeah. no pre pre research on any of this stuff. So it's yeah, it's no, really it's, amazing that I had to hit the but, you know, head somehow with that. Well, you know your stuff. So me, it's, it's helpful. Let me jump in there for a second. Yeah. Let me jump in there for a second and, and be really really careful because when you're talking about you know a digital transfer or a digital trade, you've got to have the right approval sets to do that. You mentioned T0. T0 actually is only approved for digital public entities and only approved in eight states. So you have to go down to the likes of Templum to get to the private market, and you only have two or three actually SEC-approved blockchain-based transfer agents. So the approvals do matter. Yeah, I know, and then we are, you know, in this world where we're, you know, and I'm, I'm a financial advisor myself, so when it comes to getting, you know, looking at all the different rules and, you know, seeing all the ICO craze, I mean, a lot of that I thought, you know, that there's no way that, uh, you know, a lot of this is really going to fly, you know, down, down the road once SEC catches up. So, you know, for anyone listening right now, we're not trying to have anyone skirt around the laws. This is a way to basically do things much more efficiently, get rid of a lot of the bean counters, get rid of 
a lot of the inefficiencies and increased transparency. And uh, I just knew that Raven was doing, and I, as a financial advisor, I'm not making any recommendations to go out my Equa or go buy Ravens. That way, if the SEC comes and looks, looks at this, you know, you know, a year from now, that we're just, you know, talking about the technology, talking about real life use cases of how blockchain can help make, you know, actual businesses more efficient. Because a lot of people, you know, think, okay, you know, Bitcoin's a scam and blockchain's a scam, and yeah, there are a lot of scammers in it, but they don't understand there's these greater use cases of how. You know, uh, you know the real world applications like you know uh, Walmart having all their produce suppliers going onto the blockchain, um, you know, and, and something like that. But sorry, I guess uh, if you want to keep continuing on with uh, how you guys integrate in with with Raven. Yeah. So you know, again, just to finish my thought. So we are, um, you know, if if you want, if you're on a publicly traded market, like you know Google, everybody has that little ticker, that, that ticker symbol, right? So we can duplicate that same process on Raven. So, you know, if you were to onboard your organization to us, we can create a, uh, an asset for your organization, fund standard nomenclature on Raven. You can go in and purchase it, set it up, you know, it costs like, I don't know, five bucks or something to create one. And, and I heard it was 10. Okay. <laughs> I, guess, I, guess that, I think it's five, I think it was like 500 Raven, I think is the- uh, Yeah, it's 500 Raven to create the asset. Or something. Uh, and, then it's, and then it's there and you can build out, you know, you can attach wallet addresses to it. So effectively, let's say you had, 10 owners, each had 10% of the company, uh, 100,000 units. So everybody basically has 10,000 units. You can create 10 wallet addresses uh, downstream of the main master address, which would be kind of the, the source for all those that everything is being dispersed to. And then now you, have, now you have 10 wallet addresses. Each wallet address is attached to an owner and 10% of the units. So then once, uh, you know, as we build this out further and further in detail and interface more into Raven, kind of on the back end stuff, if somebody wants to, in our user uh, in, our, in our user experience on the front end, transfer ownership, let's say one of those owners just wants to be bought out because he wants to leave the company, uh, so he's got 10%, and maybe now you're going to sell it to one of those, so completely to another owner. Now that owner is going to own 20%. And you so can find these smart contracts and say, hey, you know, we're, we get first, if we're one of the initial 10 investors, yep. we each have 10%, we get first right of refusal before yep. it goes out, and you can put that through a smart contract. And it's funny because I actually, I think sitting next to Sean when I met him was actually Tron Black of uh, Medici and also yep. lead programmer of Raven Coin. So it's just very, which I had no idea there was a tie-in. So I was trying to get him on a podcast too. So I would, yeah. it would have been great if I just had both of you guys on at the uh, Yeah, and we, and we obviously won't want to be super focused on just one blockchain at any yep. one point in time. We want to be you know flexible enough that as other chains and other technologies emerge to be nimble enough to kind of develop in that direction uh, and another one that we're really interested in and in is uh, is eos because eos is highly effective at voting and capturing votes it's just it's a voting system that's all it is i mean that's how all the block producers are are assigned right so if as a part of corporate governance as a part of a business running a lot of things are just always, every action is basically voted upon, whether you realize it or not. And so if your language in the operating agreement says, okay, we can only do this if people vote on it and it's like a majority or even it has to be unanimous, whatever the language that is tied to your you know, governing documents, we can, we can assign that to a business on the, on, 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 through the user interface to say, okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna put a proposal together and we're send it out and you know in the future we can use EOS to say all right we're gonna capture votes so if it needs, just needs to be a majority if six out of ten people vote for this then that action you know 
uh, moves forward. So and is there transaction fees on EOS, or is there, uh, or is it super super low? Or because I know EOS, like, EOS has its own model. There's not transaction fees, but in order to interact and participate in the EOS network, you have to have like a wallet like a Scatter. Uh, where you basically just contribute uh, resources to the EOS network, whether it's RAM or um, I forget the other ones, but basically you're just contributing resources. You're not paying gas. Yeah, like G GPU. Now, um, can you get some an idea? I mean, this is probably completely ballparking because you know I didn't. Uh, you know, there was no pre really pre interview before this, but what, if someone wanted to do that on um, Ethereum, for example, you know. Let's give like a cost difference of doing it on like Ethereum versus you know Raven or EOS because people a lot of people are wondering you know hey how come there's all these different blockchains and why do we need all these different ones and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about you know the hardcore crypto guys I'm just talking about someone who's hey maybe they just got into Bitcoin or Ethereum uh, and now they're wondering hey wh why you know why don't we just stick with Ethereum you know, they were the first smart contract ones out there they have Vitalik he seems like a smart guy you know why why are people gravitating towards these other chains uh, when Ethereum sort of had the initial you know, I guess kind of lead on all this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's, it's free economics, right? I mean, as it, there's, it's a huge world out there. Everybody has their own idea of how the language, how everything should be programmed and, and built out. So yeah, I mean, Ethereum is still out there and there's still, there's still lots of good projects being built on there, but you know, it's, I, I don't have a simple answer for it because I'm, I'm not kind of the, I, I'm definitely not an expert, but I will say that, um, you know, everybody's entitled to their own ideas on how to build the future using blockchain. And EOS is just very well adept at capturing votes and they don't, there's no transaction fees. So that's great. So if you're building, actually I'll back up and say really quickly with the problem with Ethereum and, and I don't hate Ethereum, I actually own quite a bit of it. But if you are building on it, uh, like Salt did, um, every transaction on the Ethereum network, you have to pay money and it goes to Ethereum. So it's actually, if, if you want to build a project, it's actually in your better interest to find another path because if you're going to scale, you're going to be spending more and more and more money to that. It's how is that any different than paying Visa or MasterCard at that point? I mean, you, there's transaction fees and that's, I mean, it, granted it's much cheaper and, and the transactions are much faster, but at the end of the day, you're still having money eaten away out of your bottom line towards transaction fees. So let's find better ways and, and better systems. So I, I guess yeah, that's but, but, but Stan, the difference is that Visa is a uh, licensed money service provider. Ethereum is not. No, I understand. But I'm just saying if, if why, like the question is why not just use Ethereum and switch to another blockchain? With Ethereum, if you're building on that and every transaction, whether it's just a data transaction or it's a financial transaction, which are really what's the, what, how do you segregate those two? Because every data transaction does have a, a fiscal cost assigned to it. But if you're building on Ethereum, every transaction, there, there you have to pay money. You have to pay gas for that transaction to be included into the next block. So and when the network gets clogged, those fees can, you know, proportionally go up, you know, skyrocket, you know, like, yeah. Crypto kitties, you know, shutting it down, or um, yeah. And, and if you have anything that tries to expand like at mass and actually does get popular and, and does what you know we hope it does, and we get mass adoption. It's just you know people can't afford to be paying you know exorbitant fees. And it seems like EOS and again as a financial advisor, not recommending people go out and buy EOS or go out and buy Ravencoin or even Equa, but it's just trying to point out what the tech and some of the limitations. 
And it also is interesting because two of the recent interviews I did, I did a quick one with Charles Hoskinson at uh, Coin Agenda, and you know he's left the Ethereum project, and also the other one was with uh, Yanni uh, Malahov, who was the guy who hired Vitalik to start working on color coding projects, and had Vitalik sleeping on his couch in Berlin. So you know, it, and both of these guys, you know, are you know kind of co-founders, and they they have left the project, and so you just see you know kind of a lot of these bigger names leaving project and, and it makes you think that you know obviously if they're leaving they thought that there's better ways to do things than uh you know the sharding or whatever you know, else they keep saying is coming on the pipeline which uh you know never seems never seems never seems to get here so it seems like you guys are nimble enough to say hey you know maybe raven's doing it the best today but you know who knows three months from now it might be something else and you guys are small enough and nimble enough to then maybe you know, kind of pick up and transfer even from, the even from the perspective that right now there's uh, there's a specific wallet on Bitcoin Cash where you can actually create uh, uh, assets on Bitcoin Cash. So we don't want to be married to one. You know, we don't want we're, we don't want to be in the business of picking winners and losers. Let's provide the options and let our clients tell us what they want. I was going to say it's like you guys are like the government trying to pick winners and losers, except they don't yeah. Pick we don't losers, we don't want so. to do that. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of that kind of explains a little bit, of, and you know. Beyond the cap table, what we're also doing is, you know, we're, we're providing a little bit, you know, not financial or legal advice. You know, we don't want to go down that path because, you know, down that path, you know, we'll probably get shut down. But we do want to provide a little bit of education, you know, on securities, uh, legislation, all that type of stuff, and, and enable people to make the appropriate decisions and add a little bit of guardrails to the system. And even, even to the point, let's say, if you want to go and do a capital raise with, and register with the SEC, whether it's a CF, a D, an S, or whatever the case may be, there are constraints both around the number of investors uh, and with the amount of capital that you can raise in that round. So let's just put in a little calculator that's always kind of counting, right? So as you're adding new people, new investors to your cap table as you're moving forward, you know, let's have a little warning system that recognizes, oh, you know, much like when people, you know, I don't know about you, but I finally upgraded to unlimited cell phone data. But when I didn't, I would get, you know, texts or emails when I was running out of data. So when I was like 10% or 5% left. So we should send out like a little notification system to businesses that are doing a capital raise. Not only do we instruct them to or provide them the information says, okay, this is what you need to do. You have to file these forms and in these timeframes, et cetera. But when you're approaching kind of those thresholds, both financially and the amount of investors, send out a notification system that says, hey, you know, to the operators of the organization, you know, you, 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 you're going to do a $5 million raise and you're, you know, you're sitting at 4.5. You know, you might want to just evaluate your position, what you need to do, your strategy. So just providing that, that layers of, of information and transparency and then just also attaching a notification system such that whether you're updating the cap table your operating agreement, your corporate bylaws, uh, an ESOP agreement with an employee, anytime any of those documents are edited, uh, and, and, and a notification will go out to the other stakeholders that are touching that agreement or at least a part of it so that there, again, is that full transparency that people aren't kind of working in silos. You know, people are working in a more collaborative and transparent way to the point that even, you know, we want to build an environment instead of having documents ripped out and sent over email or stored in Dropbox or, you know, any of the, you know, hundred different ways that you can store information. 
we want to simplify that all the way down where we basically offer, you know, again, this would resonate with the blockchain community, but we want to provide the single source of truth for your organization. So at any point in time in a 24 hour period day, people can log in and see, you know, this is the status of the agreements. This is the status of the cap tables. Something needs to change, you know, whether that's you or in a, if you need that action to be done by your attorney, just invite your attorney as a user. Like we want to make attorneys much more effective and, you know, a, a lot cheaper too to the actual business owner, right? So as, you know, attorneys, they, they have billable hours and, you know, they always round up and all that type of stuff. So, and if you, if you make their job more difficult, it's going to cost you more money. So if you literally just invite the attorney to our environment where you can version documents together, there is not a process of reconciliation to everybody on that agreement to understand what is the current version, you know, what, what edits have been approved, what edits need to be, you know, deleted out, all that type of stuff. If we simplify that process, then it just becomes a lot more efficient, a lot less uh, friction, and, you know, a lot more, um, a, a lot, a lot cheaper as well. Now, as a utility in Equa, as somebody is um, basically buying Equa to then be able to participate in storing data, data on the network. So like, hey, we've got these different files and we want to upload them and the files take up space and space is data and storage. And I'm sure right now, Joseph on the line is being a compliance guy. He's like, oh man, he just said utility and all this other hot button issues. But you know, in terms of like buying the Equa, I don't know if it's best way to say it. We're actually, okay. so just to, I don't want to stuff in, but we're not selling Equa. It's, it's not even really a token at this okay. point. It's just, it's basically, think of it as a rewards point system, just like a Starbucks points, right? Like you get, you earn them and then you can basically turn them right around and apply them to your monthly or yearly subscription. So it's not a, it's not, a, it's not even utility token. It's not a security. Like we don't, we don't want to go down that path because you know, <laughs> there's no guideline and the SEC are just going to come after us if we do that. So all it is, is a standard, just think of it in basic terms as a rewards point system. So if you participate and do certain things, you actually just get Equa. And so there's a different membership levels too. Like, Hey, we can buy, you know, different, uh, different size plans, depending on my organization and organizational needs that we spend, you know, X amount of dollars per month on or yearly, yeah. uh, different, different type tiers or, you know, so it's our, we basically, everything right now is designed to just every organization that comes to us, they're basically going to get the full package. They're going to get all our services. As we grow, we might carve out specific services for different consumers. But right now, everybody that onboards is going to get the full experience and the cost that they're going to pay is going to be directly associated with how many security holders, how many owners uh, belong to that particular company. Because, you know, if you're, if you're a sole proprietor, there's not a lot of work, there's not a lot of documents, there's just one individual. Now, if you're a startup and you've done a pre-seed, a seed, and a series A, you might have 50 to 100 uh, owners on the cap table. And so the build out that onboarding costs for the first year is going to be more expensive. And we want to be fluid enough to say, okay, when, when you renew at the end of your first yearly subscription, if you've stayed the same, you've grown, or maybe you've contracted a little bit, then the price that you would expect to pay going into year two is going to reflect that pattern of whether or not you've grown or not. So again, the, the amount of usage, amount of consumption is going to be directly tied to probably how many owners there are. Uh, and then the, the, price, the, the cost is going to be a direct reflection of that. Now, could you also do things, just kind of switching gears a little bit, but let's say, uh, you know, you're you gave an example of somebody trying to raise $5 million, maybe they only raised four and a half. 
And, you know, can there be programs into the smart contracts like, hey, if we only raise four and a half versus five, then your share of the distribution then would get, you know, incrementally a tiny bit more because now we didn't raise as much as we thought we did. Or, hey, we're trying to raise 10 million. If we don't raise 10 million, then we'll give back all the money because this is how much money we need to get going. So it's built in. Because I know the problem with a lot of these, you know, a lot of problems with ICOs have, you know, 10 hour term problem with ICOs. But, uh, you know, let's say a lot of these, you know, owners, uh, you know, the, the IC, creators of the ICOs, they all suddenly get paid, you know, $100 million and they're 22 years old and they're thinking, okay, well, I just got paid $100 million. You know, what do I need to do in terms of develop or, you know, actually come up with a product because the whole goal for a lot of these guys was to make a bunch of money and now they already made a bunch of money. So what incentive do they have to actually produce anything? So maybe having different roadmaps where it says, you know, hey, we, uh, we hit our goal. Yeah, and an ICO, an ICO is not technically equity. It doesn't belong anywhere near a cap table. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was, I guess, you know, maybe trying to say, you know, people who are now trying to do uh, security raises, but through the proper channels, but maybe do it through, you know, uh, through, through a token as opposed to doing it through an IPO. And now they could, you know, maybe have some sort of safeguards in place. Say, hey, well, you know, we give you $10 million, but, you know, $1 million gets released when you hit, you know, these thresholds, another million gets released when you guys hit yeah, these and, thresholds. And, and it, 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 is, it is no different than a primary issuance under the Securities Act of 1933. The only net differential is the delivery system, which happens to be on blockchain and may or may not be tokenized. That's the, oh, the rules still apply. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, uh, definitely we're in that, you know, in that crazy 2017 Wild West period when, you know, seems like everybody and anything was, was going on. But yeah, it's basically taking the current security laws that are already there, just making it a whole lot more efficient by using, uh, by using you know, Equistar to being able to do it from, it sounds like from beginning to end, and then you can even help people when, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you know, get them on board to Raven and do the asset token deal and, and help them you know, with this, you know, reg, all these different regs and maybe pointing them to lawyers and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, this is you know, certainly interesting. I didn't really know too much about you guys when you were um, coming on. We'll probably maybe try to wrap up the little podcast portion of this soon because it probably gives people enough of an idea of what's what's going on. And then we can maybe talk offline about ways maybe you can because uh, now a lot of bells are sort of ringing my head of, you know, because I have people coming to me with these types of issues. Um, and, and whether it's lawyers or people on different different sides of, the, of this equation. But no, it is, it is interesting. Uh, you know, because I, I think a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot more to blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto than people just trading fake money back and forth. So I guess in, uh, you know, closing out the, the podcast portion of this, if, if maybe each of you have, you know, something to tell someone who doesn't like cryptocurrencies or doesn't like Bitcoin, you know, maybe something that you wish you knew, you know, in 2010 or 11 that you know now that, you know, it's, hey, you know, this is my little tidbit of, you know, I really didn't get it back then. It took me a while, you know, kicking and screaming, but then eventually, aha, I had some sort of aha moment. So maybe it's whether it was whatever your aha moment was or something you wish you knew back then that you kind of impart to our viewers who may not be big crypto fans. And if you're not a crypto fan and you're still watching this, I guess, 45 minutes into it, then, you know, thank you. It seems like, you know, we could probably have some sort of uh, effect on you, but if, uh, Stan, do you want to go first? I'm sorry, as you're going drink. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have a singular epiphany aha that you know pushed me over the needle. It was just, 
it was more just kind of an accumulation of evidence and, you know, conversations that I had with people that really seemed to understand this. And, 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 and at a certain point too, it's like everybody has people in their lives that they look up to, that they, that they're influenced by and they just innately trust. And so, you know, obviously everybody in the crypto community, how many times on, on chat message boards, emails, you know, from Twitter, everybody, there's always that tagline, do your own research, right? I mean, everybody should just do your own research. But that being said, there are individuals, there are people that are influential enough, whether they're, I mean, whether it's a celebrity, a, a, a sports person, God help you, but people in your lives that you are influenced by that kind of breaks down that entry, like, okay, this makes sense. I trust you. I'm going to look into this or I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm going to take the plunge. And so I had enough people in my life in 2012 that were, or even 2011 that were talking about this. And I finally just, it's like, okay, I'm going to go down this path and I'm going to start doing it. And I think, you know, and I know this is a very long winded answer, but if I really had to kind of distill it down and maybe try to pull out one moment, you know, it was when I finally started to understand what money is and, you know, how it's really governed and how it's created and just understanding that process. Cause most people even now, like just don't even, and people are afraid of Bitcoin or gold or these other things because they're like, why, why, why do we need this? Because we have a monetary supply we have banks and all this stuff. People just don't fundamentally get it because they're just swiping their card or pulling out cash, and you know they're, it's they're so removed from the understanding of how these processes work because everybody's just working for a living, getting money because they got to pay a mortgage and stuck in the rat rat race. School. And so they don't, there's there's not a lot of there's not a great amount of there's not a sufficient amount of incentive for people to really understand the process. And once I actually started to go down and do a little bit of reading. And I began to just fundamentally, and it started resonating because I think everybody understands their problems, but then I started putting in the work and recognizing that there is breaking points. Then I realized that this could actually solve that. And then once I kind of effectively recognized that, then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm all in, you know, however I can dissociate myself from fiat. Uh, and, you know, the further along I can go, out, go along that process, then the, the better. And so that's kind of Stan, where I'm at. Stan, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to avoid the question, but I really have to drop. I've got a call right now. So thank so, you so much for having me, and I appreciate it. Uh, and and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. And actually, I just realized I feel like an idiot because I was recording through my Yeti mic over here and not the other one, and I didn't realize that till right now. So hopefully, you could hear me okay. Yeah. No, I, I hear you just fine, actually. Yeah, I feel yeah. So for the viewers that we see, yeah, so I got the Yeti mic over there, and didn't and just realized that I all this moving and wrangling around was for nothing. So <laughs> maybe cool. if I was in the blockchain, I would have realized that. But yeah, I guess uh, pinging along with what you just said there, one of the things that people uh, will say is, "Well, hey, I don't understand this Bitcoin or blockchain, or it's way too confusing." And my kind of comeback is, "Well, I guarantee you don't understand the real system either, or the not just yeah. called real system, but the traditional financial system either." And that hasn't yeah. stopped you from from doing it. But anyways, you know, thank you guys for listening to another episode. This is actually a crypto wealth show edition of the Liberty Advisor show. Tippet show today we were joined by uh, Stan Via and also uh, Joseph uh, Shibley, I think was it was the name and I yep. uh, definitely appreciate them coming on the show. Uh, what's the best way for people to uh, either reach out to you or to reach out to Equa and see everything you guys have got going on? 
Yeah, so our website uh, is www.equa.global. Uh, we are at Twitter. We're on Twitter at, at StartEqua. Uh, you can find us on, on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, the usual paths. Uh, and then if you want to reach out to us, you can reach out to us at, uh, what is it? Uh, sales at equastart.io. And I'm trying to think is, I think that's all the, the, the typical paths. Uh, and then, you know, you can always find me at Sten at equastart.io. Uh, and yeah, and please reach out and any questions. And, uh, you know, the, the salesy pitch to, to wrap it up is, you know, we are really, trying to find the, you know, whatever way to add as much value into the world. And the, the path that we've chosen is just, just make sure that businesses and entrepreneurs are going to be more successful. And the only way to do that is to give them the tools to be more effective, to manage their costs, manage their operations. And so if you're interested in understanding how we can help you do that, then reach out because uh, we'd love to start a relationship and, and be part of your team and help you thrive. No, thank you for uh, sharing all your insight and knowledge with us. Uh, it's great to see, you know, real projects being built on the blockchain that are trying to do things, uh, I don't want to you know, call it the legit way, but, you know, not, you know, some ICO craze that they're actually trying to do real life things for real life businesses. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to uh, showcase you guys so I could see why, you know, uh, you helped, you were one of the winners of the Bid Angels contest. And thank you so much for all your time today. And I uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. And uh, let's, let's stay in touch.